Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Hey everyone, it's March. Can you believe it? That means it's time for a brand new episode of The Mod Pod. We're keeping it brief for you this time around, so if you want more mod content, you're going to have to do the reading yourself. And there are some pretty fabulous articles in this latest issue, so you may want to head over to modernod.com after you're finished here to check them out. Okay, without any further ado, let's talk about the first article on tap by Brianna Rue, co-owner of West Broward Eye Care in Tamarack, Florida, and co-owner of Dr. Contact Lens. Listen to her take on how some things we have seen as threats to optometrists may actually offer opportunities. The year 2020 will go into the record books as one that threw us many curveballs, but one that also gave us many gifts, both now and for the future. Optometrists have talked a lot in recent years about the disruption of our profession by online ordering of contact lenses, spectacles, and even vision exams. But with the experiences we have gained over the past year, we now have the opportunity to become disruptors rather than disruptees. Let me explain what I mean. From continuing education via Zoom to telemedicine visits with our patients, technology, especially healthcare technology, changed rapidly in 2020, and those changes are here to stay. I wouldn't be surprised if the pandemic sped up the use of technology in our daily lives by at least three to five years. We had to adapt to and embrace these changes quickly in order to continue moving forward. Now, in 2021 and beyond, we can either further embrace this movement and become disruptors or be the ones disrupted and get cut out of the picture with our patients. If you are hoping that last year's shift towards technology was a phase, like Facebook in 2010, snap out of it. Using healthcare technologies to bring new areas of focus to our clinics can be beneficial for both our patients and our practices, and it does not have to be hard. Potential new areas of focus for our practices include offering myopia management, treatment of dry eye disease, medical eye care, telemedicine services, scleral lenses, and online ordering platforms for glasses and contact lenses. We can either grow these areas or sit back, sink, and wish we had taken action. If we choose the latter and watch from the sidelines while new technologies continue to disrupt the doctor-patient relationship, both we and our patients will lose. Physicians need to be the ones guiding this balance, and we can do so by taking a proactive approach. Note, however, that when you bring any change to your office, it is imperative to get your staff on board from the beginning. If you do not, you will get pushback and your effort will be bound to fail. Change and comfort cannot coexist. Establish the mindset that change will benefit your staff and make their lives better and this will set you and them up for success. Technology can improve multiple areas for an office, but we have to be open to exploring it. When you evaluate a technology or a new area of focus for your practice, don't ask yourself, what is this going to cost? If you do, you will think of a million excuses not to go for it. Ask instead, what is it going to cost if I don't 
bring this to my practice? The answer may surprise you. Patients want things to be easy, and so do your staff members. Patients want the convenience of short wait times and efficient visits. As we are all busier than ever, we need to use technology to eliminate mundane tasks and to free up our staff members so they can spend their time on more profitable tasks. Convenience is a new factor we can offer to our patients to make them happy and keep them coming back to see us and purchasing from us. Following are some areas where you can adopt technology easily in your practice to help bring a great customer service experience to your patients. Free up your staff to focus on more profitable tasks and help your practice thrive. I've also included the vendors our practice uses to supply and support these services. Answer the next phone call to your practice. If it is an appointment request, determine how long it takes to go through the steps. By adding a live online appointment scheduler that populates your schedule, you can save a significant amount of staff time. Our clinic uses Schedule Your Exam. Ever wonder how you can be 20 minutes behind on your second patient of the day? Look no further than your check-in process. Most electronic medical record systems have the capability to pre-populate filled out forms directly to a patient's record. This cuts down on asking redundant questions and waiting for patients to fill out forms manually in the office. Online forms can save you time and money on printing and help keep your clinic running on time. Consult with your EMR vendor to get your forms added to your website and start directing patients there before their visits. Our clinic uses Crystal Practice Management. Many people screen their phone calls and avoid answering calls from unknown numbers. Yet 74% of people will respond to a text message from a business within an hour. Using live text messaging helps cut down on calls and decreases your no-show rate. This type of service helps us remind patients about their appointments, confirms patients who have not confirmed their appointments, and lets patients know their optical purchases are ready for pickup. Our clinic uses Weave, and we have significantly cut down on calls to patients and vice versa. Beat your competitors to the punch by directing patients to a contact lens ordering platform linked to your practice. Optometrists are the first ones to lose the sale. When patients are asking for a copy of their contact lens prescription, you know they intend to go elsewhere and that there is nothing you can say or do to change their minds. Instead of playing defense, go on the offense and give them a Federal Trade Commission compliant digital script inside your contact lens store and win that patient every time, or at least give yourself the opportunity to do so. Our clinic uses Dr. Contact Lens. Online retailers are here to stay. Give your patients the ability to shop with you before they even enter your door by offering online glasses try-ons to start their optical experience or even continue the experience online. As with contact lenses, optometrists are the first ones to lose this sale. Make sure you also have an affordable area in your optical to appeal to bargain shoppers. We are in the process of developing our platform with Optify. Pick a platform and select patients from your schedule who will qualify for telemedicine visits. Next, figure out the billing. Then announce on your website that your clinic is now offering telemedicine visits. Easy areas to start with telemedicine visits are dry eye patient evaluations and myopia management consultations. Replace the word follow-up with evaluation 
because people think of follow-up as free. Our clinic uses doxy.me. A website robot or chatbot can capture patients who are on your website and help drive them to easily make appointments or call your office. Think of this as your website concierge service. Most patients go to your website not to look around, but to find information such as your phone number, your address, or what insurance you accept, and to find it quickly. If it takes them too long to locate this information, they will leave your website, and now you have potentially lost that patient. A chatbot can capture this patient, which again helps decrease phone time with your staff and gets patients to make an appointment. Our clinic uses DearDoc, which is a HIPAA-compliant chatbot. Optometry has been given many gifts, but we must be the ones to recognize them, receive them, and do something with them. These gifts include our wonderful patients, but more specifically, the patients who allow us to manage their dry eye disease and provide their medical eye care, myopia management, contact lenses, and scleral lenses. Our patients love us because we take time with each of them, listen to their complaints, and discuss and treat their concerns. Take your clinic to the next level by creating a new area of focus every 90 days and watch your practice grow and thrive. The disruptees can become the disruptors, but you have to take action now. Your patients and your clinic will thank you. What do you think? Are you ready to flip the script and go from disruptee to disruptor? Next, we'll get into a topic that's practically unavoidable this time of year, ocular allergies. They may be the easy answer when you see a patient and run through their signs and symptoms, but it pays to make the effort to diagnose and treat them correctly because symptoms commonly associated with ocular allergy are often shared with other conditions. As Leslie O'Dell, Clinical Director of Medical Optometry America in York, Pennsylvania, and one of MOD's chief medical editors is about to explain. Patients with ocular allergy sometimes underreport their symptoms, thinking their chronic irritation is normal. These same patients may self-diagnose with ocular allergy when in reality another condition is present. Over-the-counter options for treating ocular allergy are readily available, making it tricky for eye care providers to uncover the true cause of symptoms when the patient is in our chair. This article reviews signs and symptoms of ocular allergy that are shared with other ocular and systemic diseases and explores other reasons patients may be experiencing these symptoms. A careful examination in history can help the clinician to shed light on the causative problem and bring relief to patients who are often frustrated after exhausting OTC options. Patients with ocular allergy may have itching eyelid swelling, redness, and watering, but these same symptoms can also be indicative of other ocular surface disease, mainly dry eye disease. In fact, in patients with complaints of itching, dryness, and redness, more than 50% of patients have both ocular allergy and DED. In a true allergic IgE-mediated response, rubbing will worsen an itching sensation rather than provide relief. Ask the patient if rubbing his or her eyes when they itch helps or worsens the symptom. If rubbing provides relief, 
then differentials such as dry eye disease, meibomian gland dysfunction, and blepharitis are likely causes. Next, find out whether it's the patient's eye or eyelid that itches. With allergy, it is common for the itching sensation to be more intense in the nasocanthal region. When the itch is located near the base of the eyelash, blepharitis and demodex blepharitis should be ruled out. Contact blepharoconjunctivitis, CBC, a non-IgE-mediated allergic contact dermatitis of the eyelid or even conjunctival tissue, is caused by exposure to toxins from common products such as cosmetics, eye drops, and metals. CBC also tends to affect middle-aged women, which is the most common demographic for our dry eye patients. The eyelid has the thinnest skin on the body, making it susceptible to swelling. The location, coloration of the skin, and duration of swelling are all important to note when narrowing your diagnosis. With allergy, the eyelid can swell quickly, resulting in angioedema. Infectious conditions, which are at times urgent, i.e. preceptal cellulitis, can present with warm, red, painful swelling. A hordeolum or chalazion also present with eyelid swelling, but these are more localized rather than a diffuse swelling. Redness is the hallmark sign of inflammation. In atopic keratoconjunctivitis, patients present with bilateral inflammation of the eyelids, cornea, and conjunctiva. There are many inflammatory conditions that will present with an acute red eye, including infections, eye inflammation such as uveitis, scleritis, episcleritis, pinguiculitis, chronic blepharitis, and MGD with ocular rosacea, an allergy. A complete history and timeline of symptoms will aid in narrowing the differential. Ask the patient about associated symptoms such as rhinitis, symptoms of upper respiratory illness, fever, sore throat, joint pain, and even dermatologic conditions. The location of the redness is critical as well. Note also whether symptoms are present monocularly or binocularly. Tearing is a common sign of many conditions. Ocular injury in foreign material can trigger a watering response. Dry eye disease and meibomian gland dysfunction can also present with excessive tearing. A complete history will help to narrow the differential diagnosis. The common clinical signs of ocular allergies including papilla, conjunctival hyperemia, chemosis, and mucoid discharge are present in other ocular conditions as well making diagnosis at times a challenge. With formal allergy testing, through a referral to an allergist, or with in-office testing with Bosch & Lomb or Allerfocus, narrowing the differential can be easier. Other ocular conditions that can be confused with ocular allergies include the following. Dry eye disease affects as many as 30 million Americans, but only half of those have been diagnosed. And of those diagnosed, only a fraction are using prescription therapies. Inflammation is a cause of both aqueous deficient and evaporative forms of dry eye disease. However, many patients seek OTC remedies before reporting symptoms to their eye care practitioners. Grittiness and watering can be common to both conditions. By using TFAS DOES2 guidelines and identifying symptoms, with a validated questionnaire and clinical signs 
with the Tier Lab Osmolarity System, Tier Breakup Time Assessment, and Vital Dye Evaluation of the Cornea and Conjunctiva, we can determine whether dry eye disease is present with or without ocular allergy. Dry eye disease is a chronic disease with periods of acute worsening of symptoms, dry eye flares. These flares can be misdiagnosed as allergy. Mucoid discharge is a common clinical finding for both allergy and infectious conjunctivitis. History is important for determining etiology. Factors helping in determining a diagnosis include time of onset, whether the presentation is monocular or binocular, the amount of drainage, the color of that drainage, and whether there's any seasonality with occurrence. In the case of adenovirus, in which watering is also common, point-of-care testing with quick-view adenoviral conjunctival test makes your diagnosis easier. Contact lens wearers can present with many complications, ranging as an acute red eye to keratitis, limbal injection, and even papillary conjunctivitis. Contact lens overwear, tight lens syndrome, and contact lens-induced dry eye can result in red eyes, photophobia, and watering, similar to allergy. Preservatives such as BAK, found in many topical medications and OTC products, can also cause toxic conjunctivitis with prolonged use. Discontinuation of the product containing the offending ingredient typically yields improvement in both signs and symptoms. In patients with CBC, blepharitis can be in your differential diagnosis. Patients may present with symptoms of itching, often at the base of the eyelash, along with scaling and even mild lid edema. Although conjunctival papillary are present, GPC, giant papillary conjunctivitis, is a hypersensitivity reaction that is not allergic in nature. Seasonal allergic conjunctivitis is a risk factor for GPC, and there is seasonality in both, with peaks in the spring and fall. The anexa of patients with mucus fissioning syndrome often has an appearance similar to that of a patient with chronic allergy. Eyelid swelling and dermatitis are common, in addition to papillary conjunctivitis, which is from chronic insult induced by the patient trying to remove foreign matter from the eye itself, referred to as mucus fishing. The repetitive habit perpetuates the signs and symptoms. Prompt diagnosis and introduction of anti-inflammatory medication can greatly improve this condition. Itchy, red, swollen, watery eyes may scream allergies, but listen to that inner voice telling you to take time to rule out other possibilities. This is where vital dye staining and portive care testing can be of value. Remember, it's common for allergy to be present in addition to other ocular conditions, in which case dual therapy may be needed to achieve your best outcomes for the patient. Unfortunately, ocular allergy is not so cut and dry. But as Dr. Odell points out, taking a patient history, performing appropriate tests, and asking questions about the specific nature of patient symptoms will yield helpful information in determining a correct diagnosis. Let's move along to the fun part of the episode, where our associate editor, Katie Herman, interviews one of your colleagues. This month, she talks to Nate Lighthizer, who is not only a member of MOD's editorial advisory board, but is also associate professor, associate dean, Director of Continuing Education and Chief of Specialty Care Clinics at Oklahoma College of Optometry at Northeastern State University in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Hear about why he became an optometrist, how he got into electrodiagnostics, how he met his wife, also an OD, and more. 
Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Mawr Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in optometry. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Hi, Dr. Lighthizer. Thanks so much for being our up-close feature this issue. Let's get started. Who or what influenced your decision to become an optometrist and have an interest in dry eye and electrodiagnostics? Oh, that's a, that's a good question there. Um, so what, what influenced me to be an optometrist? One of my closest friends uh, growing up, his dad was an optometrist and, uh, you know, I kind of hung around him. We played sports together growing up and, you know, I just kind of saw that, you know, he, he seemed to have uh, a job that he really liked caring for patients. He also had some hours that I thought were, you know, reasonable hours. He wasn't, he wasn't working long weekends. He wasn't working, you know, ER call and, you know, emergency call, things like that. So I just saw the kind of, it interests me and science has always been my interest. I knew I always wanted to go something into the medical field. Mm -hmm. Um, and since I was about a sophomore in high school, it was just, I I want to be an eye doctor. So it's been a long time and it really never, really never changed is I want to do something with the eyes. I want to be an eye doctor. So from middle of high school, that's what it's been. And, um, got to undergrad and I met my, my wife there and, and, uh, we met in undergrad and went, what are you going into optometry? What are you going into optometry? Oh. So both were going into optometry and, you know, we went to optometry school. I followed her out there a year after she got in, I got in as well. So, um, that's kind of how our opt- optometry journey started. Oh, that's so great. <laughs> How did you become involved with the Intrepid Eye Society? What was the vision and has that changed at all? So that was how my optometry journey started from the beginning. Um, what, what, what influenced my decision really dry eye was just seeing the, the number of dry eye patients that were wanting more. They were wanting better treatment options, more treatment options. They were wanting more care. They were unhappy and, and just trying to find solutions and when just working with these patients that are so invested uh, oftentimes in trying to, to alleviate their symptoms. So that, that really sparked my interest in dry eye in my first few, uh, first few years of my career uh, and to start our dry eye clinic about seven years ago here at the College of Optometry. Electrodiagnostics, uh, when I finished my residency in 2010, um, the chief of electrodiagnostics clinic at the college retired. So they came to a fresh resident that was now going to be a faculty member and said, hey, we've got an open slot. We need somebody to be the chief of electrodiagnostics. We'd like you to do it. Wow. I've got very little experience in electrodiagnostics, but I'm really glad that I said yes, because it's been it's been a fun journey as that technology has emerged over the last 10 years and really become much more mainstream. Uh, so that's how I got into electrodiagnostics as well. Uh, mm. Justin Schweitzer was the one that established the, the Intrepid Eye Society, along with Michael Cooper um, and a bunch of our other founding members. But I would give the credit to Justin Schweitzer uh, with a, an assist from Michael Cooper as well. They were the, for, they were the first two uh, presidents of Intrepid Eye Society. Um, Justin called me about five, six years. I think it was in 2015. He called me and said, Hey, you know, ophthalmology has this kind of idea, this, they have this thing where younger, you know, emerging thought leaders, you know, kind of the energetic go-getters, you know, want to move the profession forward, kind of collaborate and work together. They, they have a thing in ophthalmology. I would like to establish that in optometry. That's what Justin said. And he, he established the Intrepid Eye Society. 
Um, and, and again, it's a group of emerging thought leaders that are 5, 10, 15, 20 years out um, that want to move uh, and push the profession forward, want to better the profession through technology, through working with each other, collaboration with ophthalmology, um, industry, working with industry. We have, they have a huge role in that, but just a group of energetic go-getters that let's say, let's move our profession forward uh, and build upon the great things that have been done in the past. So that's kind of the story on Intrepid. Cool. What do you predict the profession of optometry to look like in the next 10 years? Yeah, so I think it's going to be an exciting next 10 years uh, for optometry, um, COVID aside, hopefully we get past COVID there, but you know, hopefully. ignoring COVID, uh, the next 10 years, I think are going to be very exciting. Optometry has continued to evolve uh, into a more and more medical profession. 40, 50 years ago, optometry was eyeglasses and contact lenses, and that was it. And optometry has evolved to be the primary eye care provider, whether it's glasses and contacts or whether it's you know, general medical eye care exams as well, managing diabetes, managing diabetic retinopathy, caring for glaucoma patients, patients with red eyes. Um, and I envision that in the next 10 years to, to only continue, to optometry to continue to become more of a medical profession um, and to expand in possibly the arena of, uh, of where I practice today in Oklahoma, where we have certain laser procedures, anterior segment laser procedures and injectables or we can inject uh, in the eyelids and around the eyelids to remove lumps and bumps and, and things like that. So I, I see optometry continuing to be a more of a medical profession, embracing that as our patients get in, the boomers getting into their 60s and 70s and 80s, and we see more glaucoma and we see more macular degeneration and more diabetic retinopathy and more cataracts, uh, optometry is going to need to embrace that role as the primary medical eye care provider. Yeah, sounds like a lot of good things are in store. <laughs> I think so. It's exciting times. <laughs> what advice do you have for young ODs who are just starting out in their career? So um, my, my advice would be to, to stay involved. You know, you hear it all the time. Get involved and stay involved. Be involved with your state association. Be involved with your, you know, your local societies. Be involved with your colleagues um, and you and say yes to as many things as you possibly can, whether it's, you know, whether it's working with uh, the local society and putting on a program, doing a CE lecture, writing an article, becoming, doing, you know, free eye care days that I mean, all state associations are involved with getting involved, uh, is the biggest thing that I, it will, you will reap so many more rewards to when you, when you're involved in that, that collaboration, that working together, that feeling of team with the local optometry society, with the state association is something that's going to benefit your patients, your practice, your profession, and just your general feeling of, you know, oh, I'm doing some good things uh, with the community, with optometry in my profession. So just get involved, stay involved, say yes to as many things as you can while balancing that family and, you know, <laughs> personal life as well. Yes. So what legacy do you hope to leave behind in the eye care profession? You know, I, I've never been a huge fan of that legacy word. You know, I'm not so concerned about a legacy. You know, I hope that the students and residents that I've been blessed to be part of their training, um, thought I had a part of their training and, and helped them out along the way to be better eye doctors, to be better clinicians, to, you know, be better patient educators, patient educators. 
Uh, I hope the patients think that, you know, that I've take, taken well care of them or good care of them. So cared for the patients, cared for the students and, and left the profession a better place than, uh, than we started with, you know, I, um, and one of the biggest things, my passion is, is, is scope expansion. I believe optometry is incredibly, incredibly well-trained. Um, and I hope, uh, people would remember that, uh, maybe I was part of uh, helping move optometry forward and expanding, uh, the privileges that we can do. So, yeah, that's, a, that's great. <laughs> yep. Um, so I know you already touched on this briefly, but how did you and your wife meet and what activities do you enjoy as a family, especially with the current COVID-19 restrictions? Yeah. Uh, so we met at, at undergraduate at, at undergraduate school up in uh, Jamestown, North Dakota. We were both born and raised in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I walked into the, um, I think it was genetics class, my junior year, our junior year. And, and she was there and we just got to talking and started dating several months later and just both happened to be going into optometry. Um, we, we enjoy as a family, just hanging out as a family, um, playing board games, playing games, traveling together. You know, we travel up to North Dakota quite often to visit our families, doing a lot of CE lectures. We go to a lot of different locations to travel. We like to travel. I uh, like to just kind of hang out together, play games, mm-hmm. play Nintendo switch is the current, the hot oh, thing yes. right now, playing the Nintendo <laughs> switch with the COVID guidelines, um, <laughs> watching dude perfect on YouTube. I don't know if you know what dude yep, perfect yep, is. I know them. <laughs> uh, so we've been doing a lot of watching dude perfect on YouTube, playing Nintendo switch, <laughs> playing games during the COVID uh, pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> well, that all sounds so fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks so much again for joining us and being mods up close featured this issue. It was so great talking with you. That's it for this episode, but you know what? We'll have more for you next month. In the meantime, catch up on the March issue online or in print. And if you're not subscribed, send an email to kroman, that's K-R-O-M-A-N, at bmctoday.com with subscribe me in the subject line and your name and mailing address in the body of the email. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. We'll keep your feed informative and entertaining. Until next time. 